Hello, I'm Clive Nash. Welcome to Let God Speak. The name Jonah has come into common usage in the English language. For sailors, a Jonah is someone who brings bad luck. But who was the biblical Jonah? How did he respond to God's call to mission? And what can we learn from his experience? We're about to find out as our panel discusses this topic today. We'll be back in just a moment to discover more. On our panel today, we have Casey Verkirka and Kate Simpson. Welcome, ladies. Good to have you with us. And I'm sure we're going to have a good discussion today. But before we begin, let's take time to pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we just want to commit this time to you. We also think of our listeners and our viewers and pray that they will be touched by your Holy Spirit as we discuss this important topic today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going back in history about the 8th century before Christ, uh, and the King Isaiah was reigning over Judah. And it was during his reign that the, the prophet Isaiah received a vision of Jehovah. What was his reaction, Kate? Mm. We find that in chapter 6 of Isaiah. So I'm going to read verse 5, and then we'll jump down to verse 8 as well for a second. So in verse 5, this is Isaiah's reaction to the vision. He said, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Mm -hmm. So here he is, he's filled with a sense of his unworthiness and his sinfulness, and Israel is no better where he's dwelling. Um, But then there comes a challenge to Isaiah from the Lord in verse 8. It says, "And And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. So Isaiah was totally humbled and then he was willing to be used by God. And there's a lesson for us here too. When we see God for who he is, there's no room for selfish pride. We're just called to serve and we need to follow him. Mm. And yeah, hold this thought because we're going to be going and looking at a character today who didn't have quite the same reaction to God's call. Yes, Casey, <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking mostly about, mostly about Jonah today. Yeah. And uh, his reaction was quite different to Isaiah's, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. He, he totally pulled back from what God was calling him to. And it's very interesting if we read in the book of Jonah, Chapter 1 and verse 2, what God had called him to was to arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So he was being called by God to go to a wicked city. And um, this city was renowned in ancient time for its wickedness. Um, It was an Assyrian city. And even in the British Museum in London, we can actually see reliefs that graphically depict some of their cruelties and it's very, very bad. And so, um, yeah, this is the place that God called Jonah to. And um, yeah, he, he didn't like this idea. <laughs> if you had been Jonah, you might have uh, 
have been reluctant to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Who would want to go to a place yeah. like that? You know, you'd just be filled with fear. These yeah. were famous for the, the terror that they brought in what they yeah. did. Now, let's, let's assume that, you know, Jonah was leading from Jerusalem, for example, Kate. Mm. Uh, how far is it from, from Jerusalem to, to Nineveh? Yeah, Jerusalem to Nineveh. So Nineveh is in modern day Iraq today. And that's about 800 kilometers or 500 miles from Jerusalem where Jonah was there. And now there was roads, it was trade routes, but it was still a long way. But however, when Jonah went to Tarshish in Spain, that was 3,200 kilometers in the other direction um, by sea as well. So that's a more difficult journey. And we know that it would have taken about one month to go either direction. So Jonah used the time that would have taken to go to Nineveh, the opposite direction. Um, just looking at one of the uh, minor prophets in Nahum, and I'm reading in Nahum chapter 1 and verse 1, says, The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Um, so Nahum was quite forthright in his message about the uh, Assyrians. Uh, um, what did he have to say, Casey? Uh, mm. Yeah, it's very interesting to look at Nahum in the context of Jonah, because Nahum was actually writing about Uh, 150 years after Jonah, but he is very much laying open a picture of the kind of uh, condition the city of Nineveh was. And in chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, it says uh, of Nahum, it says, Horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There's a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries who sells nation through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. So this is a, a little snapshot of the description. And even at the start of that chapter, it says, woe to the bloody city, mm. <laughs> which really is painting a picture. And it's interesting um, looking at a little bit of history in um, the World History Encyclopedia. There's a statement that describes the Assyrian Empire, which says it was an aggressive, murderously vindictive regime supported by a magnificent and successful war machine. Um, so, yeah, these are some of the, the things that come to mind. And the, the, um, the Bible actually back in Second Kings gives some examples of some of their warfare tactics. Um, so if we have a little look over there, Second Kings chapter 17 and verse 5 and 6. Um, It says here, Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed him in Hala and by the the harbor, the river of Gozan, in the cities of the Medes. And so here we see they used besieging as a strategy, deportation, deportation, Mm. all of these things. Um, So, yeah, it was very much a center of crime and wickedness, uh, the the city, and um, they were very cruel. The people were very cruel in what they did. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, so Jonah Natch, we'd probably say, yes, he had a reason to be fearful, uh, but is it possible for us to be governed by fear too, do you think, Kate? Uh, yeah. Let's just apply this to ourselves. Yeah, I think we could wonder what people would think when we share with them, like, will they be angry? Will they be offended? What, what's the reaction going to be, basically? But we need to remember that the gospel leading to everlasting life, that's the best news ever. 
And it's important to understand too that we have a personal understanding of this message because then we'll be sharing from a personal perspective in our own lives, not just, oh, this, I think this is good for you, but I know this is good for you. And then whatever their reaction, we know it's not because the message is bad. It's because they, they might just not understand how good it is. Hmm. Mm. Let's just advance the story of Jonah a bit and to go to chapter 2 and verse 1. Uh, now Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. What's going on in the story here, Casey? <laughs> yeah, so you wonder how he ended up from uh, his hometown to a fish's belly. Well, he had gone traveling by sea, as Kate mentioned before, a long way in the opposite way. And then there was a big storm that... Uh, caused the boat to nearly shipwreck and um, Jonah recognized that this storm was a, a I guess, bad providence um, from his own choice of, of evading God's call. And so he told the, the sailors in this ship to throw him overboard. And um, God basically prepared a fish to rescue him <laughs> and capture him, um, pretty much to preserve him and also, I guess, to give him some thinking time uh, in, in, the, in the situation he was in. And so we find in the second verse uh, how Jonah reacted. And um, in Jonah 2, verse 2, it says, And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. And so Jonah is basically brought to his knees inside a fish, um, to really think about, you know, where he was at and how he was relating to God's call on his life. And um, I guess to think about where where he should go next. Mm. Mm. Yeah, what can uh, we learn from Jonah's experience, Kate? Yeah, um, that we're not to disengage with the world. We're supposed to go into the world and um, interact with them. We see that in John chapter 17, verse 15, and I'm just going to read that here. Jesus is saying, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So engage with the people, but not with the evil and keep your focus on Jesus. And another lesson that we can learn is that saving people depends on us. God wants to use us. We are his instruments. Jonah was sent to be the messenger. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the work, but we are to cooperate with him. And for an example of that, like here at 3ABN, people watch shows, they listen to the radio and there's changes seen in their life. And that brings great joy. But we have to remember always that that is just the channel that God uses. And he's the one that does the work through that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so Jonah got a, a second chance. Mm -hmm. um, God was gracious to him. And if we go over to chapter 3 and verses 1 to 4, Jonah 3, verses 1 to 4. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I'm glad that uh, God, God gives some of us second, second chances mm -hmm. at times. <laughs> Arise, he says, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. And this time, Jonah's ready to go along with God's uh, call. Mm. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was... Uh, an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And then in verse 4 it says, And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So what was the, uh, the result of his bold proclamation, Casey? Mm. 
Well, despite the preacher, this was one of the greatest success stories of, a, of an evangelist. And in, um, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says, So the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Wow. So there was complete repentance, regardless of the status of the p- mm-hmm. people in the city. They all responded to God's call. They all um, listened to the Holy Spirit. You were talking about Kate before, the Holy Spirit working on the heart. And um, God worked a miracle. I mean, he worked a miracle to reach Jonah and actually get him to the place (laughs) in a very amazing way. But then he worked an amazing miracle as the people responded to this call to repentance. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and in verse 10, uh, we read something interesting there too, don't we? We do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it says, Then God saw their works and they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Hmm. So this is, again, God's mercy and also highlighting the power of choice we all have. You know, God says, okay, if you go this direction, there's going to be consequences. But if you choose to go another direction and actually follow me, well, then, you know, he can bring blessings in in place of that. Yeah. I wonder, Casey, whether Jonah was prejudiced uh, against the the Ninevites. Do you think so? Oh, absolutely. He would have been. (laughs) I don't I think many people back in those days would have been prejudiced because, Mm. you know, they'd built up this reputation of of cruelty. And so you would probably go to them thinking these people are you know, hopeless. How are they going to change? You know, they're so, so degraded and evil in what they do. How are they ever going to, um, you know, make a change and come to be something good? And I think the word prejudice is prejudice. It's like prejudging Prejudging, the people. Mm. And uh, Kate, can we be held back by by prejudice ourselves from sharing the gospel with some people? Yeah, we can be, you know, maybe we have fear of them. Maybe they're not like us. We're not sure how to break in and reach them. Maybe we don't want to engage with certain people groups because they, again, they're not like us. Um, Yeah, you get the idea. But Jonah had to go out of his comfort zone. This, like Casey was saying, it, Mm. it wasn't comfortable for him to do that. Sharing the gospel is not always easy, but it's always a rewarding thing. And we have to remember, too, that Jesus goes with us and there's comfort in that. He breaks down the walls and we follow him through. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just thinking, too, you know, I've been to the British Museum in London mm. and seen these reliefs, mm. you know, mm. with the cruelty of the uh, of the Assyrians mm. uh, to their con- to their conquest, you know. And so we can understand how the reluctance of Jonah, we can understand his prejudice. Um, we can understand, too, you know, that he would have been fearful, but maybe it was the cost of his life mm. uh, to go there. Mm. Uh, and Casey, can can mission work be costly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the very the very nature of it is that y- you have to sacrifice in order to to um, to make a difference. Really, I mean, for Jonah, it, it cost him his time. Mm. Um, <laughs> if he'd gone direct, it would have saved him a lot of extra trouble if he had directly answered the call. But you know, it cost him. You know, I guess just even having to sacrifice his own feelings of comfort um, to go there because he was having to go way out of his his comfort zone mm. to these people. And um, he was also worried about his reputation. 
um, in terms of as a preacher, uh, what the outcome would be from what he did. Um, so he was worried about all sorts of things. And so in mission work, I mean, there's there's money. That can be another thing. It costs money to, to go on mission trips or, or to invest in projects and these kind of things. Um, but often it's the personal cost that is mm-hmm. the highest, um, the sacrifice of our own will or our own desires. And... Um, we see the greatest example of sacrifice for mission in what Christ did mm-hmm. uh, for us to save us, you know, leaving heaven, coming to earth, going way out of his comfort zone, if you mm-hmm. will. And um, we have a beautiful quote um, from Testimonies from the Church um, by Mrs. Ellen White, who's commenting on this very fact, saying that love for lost souls brought Christ to Calvary's cross. Love for souls will lead us to self-denial and sacrifice for the saving of that which is lost. Mm-hmm. And so you can see here that, um, yeah, a personal cost is very much a part of it. And that is actually the closest that comes to it is, is stemming from God's love and example in doing that. That's how we can learn that same sort of spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's remarkable that God can use even reluctant people, isn't it, Uh, (laughs) to be missionaries for him. Mm. Um, And maybe he can even use cranky people because in (laughs) in chapter 4 and and verse 1, with here's the people of Nineveh from the king downwards, you know, who who repent. Um, Chapter 4, verse 1 says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. (laughs) Hmm. uh, Kate, does this negative reaction of Jonah surprise you? Yeah, it seems Jonah would have rather seen the Ninevites killed um, because he had sort of a worldview about pagan Assyrians. He hated them and kind of for good reason as well in a way. Um, But yeah, just the note on worldviews, we all have worldviews. They drive our actions and and things. If we believe that we only have one life here, it's going to cause us to, you know, eat, drink and be merry. But if we think that we're going to an eternal life, then we might, you know, Um, choose our actions in accordance with that. But back to Jonah's reaction, I think it it does come as a surprise to me because reading through the story, we kind of just assume that he'd be happy that they repented. Um, But when he doesn't, you know, on the other hand, we can consider what we've learnt about the evil in Nineveh. His reaction also doesn't surprise us. So it was kind of, you know, either way. But personally, my initial reaction would be to assume that he'd be happy. Yes, you think he would have been, you know, glad, you know, that in Jerusalem times, you know, it's, it's written up, <laughs> you know, thousands repent, you know, at the preaching of this evangelist Jonah. Um, and so it's surprising in some way that, that Jonah was angry. Yeah. Um, so what happened next, uh, Casey, in the story? Yeah. Good question. So in, in chapter four, uh, we read more of what happened next. Um, chapter four and verse five, it says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. So it seems like he was (laughs) he was still hoping that God was going to do something and destroy them. So he was going out to watch and see when this would happen, if you know what I mean, his his angry mind is is a little bit uh, stubborn <laughs> in his um, in his uh, idea here and so God decided that maybe there was another way he might try to reach his heart and so in verse 6 it says and the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah 
and it, that it might be a shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. And so um, it's interesting because we see here that God was being merciful to Jonah, like mm-hmm. even though he was angry, which was very much not the reaction that um, you would expect if you were following God and you knew about God's gracious, merciful character. Um, and so Jonah is here like that. Um, and God is showing mercy to him and he is feeling grateful about that. And so this is kind of just trying to get him to start thinking about, well, what about the Ninevites? You know, mm-hmm. if they are in a bad place and God is being gracious to them, you know, how does that feel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's trying to help him to start to, to see a different perspective. Yeah, it was kind of like a miracle, really, wasn't it? You know, this quick growing mm. plant to give him shade. So, this is true. You now, Jonah must have realized, you know, this is not natural. Mm. Um, you know, and this is an act of grace, as you say, uh, on God's part. Um, and then reading on verse 7 and 8 to further the story, it says here in Jonah chapter 4, verse 7, But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And so it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, as if the, the destruction, <laughs> as if the worms was not enough to destroy this shade that he had. <laughs> he prepared a vehement east wind. Now, you know, east wind in that land is coming from the inland. Mm. Uh, mm. So it's coming across the dry land. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me uh, to die than to live. Hmm. So uh, was this, uh, Kate, was this a further object lesson uh, for, for Jonah? Yeah, it looks like, as you're reading, it looks like he's having a little, a little meltdown, to put it lightly. Um, he thought the growth of the vine was for him, well-deserved for all his efforts. Now he can just sit down and he can, we can watch the show, basically. But when the plant died, he got angry and he wanted to die too, just over a plant. His worldview had all been shaken upside down. He wasn't really sure what to think anymore. And like Casey was saying, maybe he was valuing, valuing the plant more than he valued the people of Nineveh. And I think um, God had a lesson in here for him, but he failed to see God's hand at all because he was set on his idea of how it wanted to go, how he wanted things to happen. Mm-hmm. And when they didn't happen according to his plan, what was he going to do now? Yeah. And this is one thing about the Bible stories, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. they, they tell it as it really was, mm-hmm. you know, warts and all. Uh, they don't gloss over and glamorize, you know, the story. Mm-hmm. And, and Jonah's capricious nature, you know, is, is not subject, subjugated here, is mm-hmm. it, in this story? So um, here's, here's the reaction of Jonah, east wind, he wants to die and so on. And, and Casey, how did God put Jonah straight? Mm, yeah, very interesting. God has very, I guess, tactful, gracious ways of doing, doing that with people. And we can see that here as well. And so in verse 9 to 11 of chapter 4, it says, Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, which 
which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. And so it's really interesting because God is, he's kind of helping Jonah have some insight into his own heart here. He says, you know, God made the people, right? And Jonah's reaction is he would rather see those people wither away and be dead. And God made the plant as well. And yet with the plant, Jonah would not rather that God had made the plant wither away. Like he didn't want that to happen, that destruction. And so how come he was happy for the plant to be staying alive, but he was not happy for all of these people that God made to be staying alive and to be redeemed. And this is really showing us a lesson of, you know, how we perceive people because every person is created by God, made by God, every single one. And so no matter what their background, no matter what they're doing, they're still made by God. They're his. And so God wants to save everyone and how we look at people um, needs to be more with the eyes of God of, you know, that he can redeem, he can save and he can draw these people um, to him. And so, yeah, through this object lesson, God is trying to help Jonah see this this new perspective, which was a big lesson for him that he didn't really understand until this experience. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. There's a quote um, from Prophets and Kings that says, through a series of trials and strange providences, the prophet's confidence in God and his infinite power to save was revived. Amen. Mm. So he saw this new picture. Yes. Yeah, mm. So if we just took this, the, uh, the book of Jonah, we'd think mm. that maybe it ends a bit of a negative note. But, mm. but that's a good note, isn't it? Mm. You know, that God actually turned him around uh, at the end there. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to the story we referred to earlier. And that's uh, Isaiah. Um, chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, this is Isaiah writing, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Um, Isaiah had a vision, and how did he respond, which was different to Jonah, Kate? Mm. Yeah, we looked at that right in the beginning, but in verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone. He feels his unworthiness and you know we need to have that sense of unworthiness too Isaiah is a lesson that we should follow um, and we should follow his example here because Isaiah felt he was powerless for good on his own and he needed God to come in and and work through him and in verse 8 then um, when the Lord says who shall I send Isaiah says here am I send me so he had willingness after his sins had been forgiven we just briefly see that in verse 7 as well, that his sins had been forgiven. He was willing, he was humble, and then he said yes to God. And this is in striking contrast to Jonah. Mm. So a question for us is, whose example are we going to follow? Yeah, and and God's still calling for people like Isaiah and, mm. and Jonah to go for him. And uh, what practical steps, Kate, can we take to be willing messages for, for Christ? Mm. Well, not everyone can go door to door. Not everyone can do all these amazing things, preach, write books, be teachers, but anyone can pray wherever you are. Um, in whatever situation you are, we can all talk mm. to God. We can intercede on behalf of people, we can pray for our family, pray for our friends, pray for our neighbors, pray for people around the world. I think the power of prayer is so underestimated, but we can be bold with God. Uh, because he hears anyone. The principle here is do what you can. There's no excuses. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, thank you. My guests today have been Casey Vakirka and Kate Simpson, mm. and I'm Clive Nash. You know, you may feel unworthy to be a Christian missionary. You may feel unqualified. Remember the old saying that God does not call the qualified, but qualifies the called. God is calling you and me to be his witnesses today. How we respond is up to us. Well, we're glad you joined us today on Let God Speak. If you are blessed by this program, why not tell your friends? Remember, all past programs plus teacher's notes are available on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Join us again next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.